0: For many people, Helena is well known for being a leader in providing farmers across the nation key input and agronomic solutions that help them produce a more profitable crop. But what many people don't know is that Helena is also an industry leader in providing solutions to golf course superintendents, forestry companies, nurseries, sports turf managers, as well as municipalities. With representatives across the nation, Helena services a wide range of non-agriculture customers that help beautify and maintain our nation's infrastructure through our extensive distribution network and leading-edge technology offerings. Joining us today on FieldLink, we have Jim Jar, Area Manager from Washington State. We will explore some of the unique services that Helena provides to the industrial and forestry industry. We will then visit with Jody Lawrence in Nashville to get a July Commodity Markets Update. And then Jim will jump to the East Coast, and we'll visit with Lou Betancourt, To dive into the world of turf. Lou is a Helena Products Manager in the Northeast United States. We'll discuss everything from golf courses to sports turf, as well as residential turf management. Stay tuned for this special edition of FieldLink. Joining us today here on FieldLink is Lou Bettencourt. Lou is a Helena Products Manager in Massachusetts. Lou, welcome
1: to the show. Thank you very much for having me today, Bill.
0: Lou, tell us a little bit about you. How did you end up in this particular role here at Helena?
1: Well, I've been here with Helena for 11 and a half years, and I started the first nine years of my career with Helena as a salesman, covering the eastern half of New England. And I was covering what we in Helena call the specialty markets, uh, golf courses, landscapers, greenhouses, nurseries, pest control and uh, I had an opportunity to take this promotion about two and a half years ago and jumped at the opportunity, and it's been, uh, been very great so far. Thank you. Lou, tell us uh, about you and
0: how you got inspired to enter into this industry.
1: Sure. Um, when, uh, when I was younger, um, I, I got into the game of golf and uh, started working at a golf course at a young age. And I had an opportunity to attend the University of Massachusetts Stockbridge School of Agriculture, uh, majoring in turfgrass management. And then I spent the majority of my career before coming to Helena as a golf course superintendent, uh, both here in New England and down in Maryland. Then I had an opportunity to join the, uh, the team at Helena, and I jumped at that opportunity uh, just because I, I knew the uh, the type of company that it was and uh, the people that were involved in the company.
0: Turf is a big term that gets thrown around by a lot of people who may not totally be familiar with the industry. Can you share a little bit about the difference uh, areas and uh, sectors of this turf
1: business? Certainly. Uh, there, there's a number of different areas that that are involved when, when we talk about the general term of turf. Um, most recognizable is obviously going to be somebody's home lawn. Uh, there are many companies out there that professionally manage people's home lawns, uh, doing lawn care applications, fertilizer, chemicals, uh, and the such. Um, the next most popular one is obviously golf. Uh, everyone is, is at least probably familiar with golf to some degree, and I think that's where the majority of turf managers come from, that when they graduate, they typically go into the golf end of the industry. And then from there, oftentimes, they'll look at other avenues to go. Uh, and then the other part of the turf industry, which most people don't really even think about too much, is the sod production industry. Um, there, there's a vast number of sod farms across our country. Um, and if you're looking for an instant lawn, that's probably the best way to get an instant lawn is to order some sod and get it delivered, and you've got instant green right there at your house. And this other area, sports turf.
0: With more and more youth sports becoming a bigger part of our lives across the nation,
1: what's the energy behind this area? And and you're right, I I did kind of gloss over that one, and uh, thank you for pointing that one out. Um, Sports turf is definitely a an emerging market that we see in the industry. Um, there is a lot of emphasis put on the sports turf industry to make sure that sports turf fields are safe. So this way uh, athletes are not getting hurt. Um, and that ranges all the way from, from the little kids starting all the way to the, the professionals that we see playing sports on TV. So when we're talking about turf and sports turf, they there's a lot of emphasis put on the safety of turf and there are some negative connotations that are put on synthetic turf uh, because of safety temperature uh, aspects that the surfaces can can get Uh, sometimes the surfaces of synthetic turf can get well in excess of 160 degrees fahrenheit Um, so natural turf is is definitely a preferred avenue that we as turf managers like to see Synthetic turf does have a fit in our industry um, because sometimes fields are just getting overused and natural grass can, can take a lot, um, but sometimes it's just overused. And when it's overused, sometimes the synthetic turf is, is definitely a way to go. But uh, I think if you polled most sports turf managers, uh, they would tell you that they would prefer to have natural grass rather than a synthetic turf out there.
0: What are some of the big challenges folks like golf superintendents or sports turf managers face in today's market?
1: Probably the biggest expectation is going to be re- unrealistic expectations um, placed upon them, uh, whether it be you know, predominantly for a golf course superintendent. Uh, green speeds, uh, the greens aren't fast enough, the fairways aren't, aren't cut to the liking of the golfer. Um, for a homeowner the grass is never green enough Um, we see that uh, oftentimes we're we're doing we've helped lawn care companies doing everything that they can they've got a fantastic program in place and they always end up with a number of people that aren't happy that the grass just isn't green enough to their liking Um, when it comes to sports turf you know again just making sure that you know, the, one of their biggest challenges is making sure that that turf is, is safe. So there's a lot of different challenges uh, that, that face people that are managing turf on a daily basis. And it's really all specific to the, the different industries and markets. Um, you know, obviously, you know, budgets are, are a concern uh, when it comes to the golf course superintendent or the sports turf manager. And as well for the homeowner, because, you know, as much as the homeowner wants to have a a perfect, fantastic lawn, you know, that lawn care company is there probably once a month or once every six to eight weeks. And, you know, they're not they, they can only do so much. It's not like they have somebody there full time, like a golf course or a sports turf field, managing that turf seven days a week. So, Lou.
0: What is your team doing uh, to implement the art and the science to help these managers make better decisions?
1: Helena has put a big emphasis on using technology. And so we have an entire platform called RX360. And within RX360, we have a multitude of offerings that we try to bring professional managers of turf. So this way they can try and accomplish and achieve the results that they're looking for. Uh, One of them is a soil sampling platform. Um, That's called AccuPoint where we'll go out uh, and we will map the soil uh, on that property and then we'll take soil samples and mark those soil sample locations with GPS. So this way we can come back in future years and resample in those exact same locations. And then we're able to create very detailed maps telling that person what nutrients they need, where they need those nutrients, and how much nutrient they need to put down uh, to correct those problems. Um, Beyond that, we have another platform called Preveal, uh, where we're using drone technology to go out and do, uh, do aerial photography uh, using um, infrared cameras on that. So this way we can try and take a look, see if there's any problems with the turf and try and help correct those problems before they become noticeable to the human eye. Uh, and then beyond that, we, we have a couple of other things. Uh, we have Extractor is another platform that we offer where we're doing tissue samples to try and really hone in on what that plant is doing and how much nutrient that plant is actually taking from the soil. And then from there, we'd be able to offer solutions to try and correct whatever deficiencies that turf might have. Uh, And then the last one would be Aqualens, um, because water plays a big part in everything that uh, a turf manager is doing uh, when it comes to spraying that we want to help make sure that that turf manager, when they are putting products in their sprayer, that we're trying to do everything we can to have the most success uh, with that application. So this way there are no uh, antagonisms because of high pH or bicarbonates in the water or or some sort of underlying issue with the water uh, that we may not know about and be able to visually see.
0: You mentioned extractor in one of those offerings at this time of year, what are some of those common findings that you and your team are finding when they're pulling extractor samples
1: on turf? As we get to this time of the year, this is a a great time of the year once we're in season uh, for doing extractor samples. And um, as much as a turf manager thinks that they are really in tune with with what's going on with their turf, uh, we typically find that there are deficiencies uh, that that are coming up from these tissue samples. Um, so most notably, the, the two most common deficiencies that, that I've seen for my area the, that I cover um, are going to be potassium or nitrogen deficiencies. And because of the nitrogen deficiencies, uh, th- those are ra- really easy to help correct, um, we would Recommend a product like our Coron um, and get some applications of Coron out there to try and help correct that deficiency. The plants need nitrogen. Plants need nitrogen in the most abundance. Uh, that's what makes it grow, that's what makes all the processes happen inside the plant.
0: And of course, Coron has been around a long time, so it certainly has proven track record, especially in the turf business, because that's where that product originated from.
1: Correct. So, um, it has uh, it, it has been around Helena since 1996, I believe, and sales just continue to grow every single year since we've had that product in our portfolio. It's probably one of our best products that we have in our entire Helena product portfolio.
0: It's certainly a strong standard for golf superintendents, sports turf managers and growers from around the country. Lou, we're in July and the dog days of summer are certainly here across much of the United States. Heat stress is pretty common around this time of year. What are you doing to help your customers reduce some of that stress for their courses and sports turf?
1: You know, two of the two of the most recommended products that we offer to our customers when they're looking for something to deal with plant stress uh, are either going to be Orbix or Renova. And I really like Renova. Uh, Renova is an amino acid-based product, and the amino acid-based products are designed to help plants deal with stress and get through those stressful periods. Uh, They work really well pre-stress conditioning kind of like taking a vitamin every day before the plant gets under stress. And then once that plant is under stress, continuing with those Renova applications, just really help that plant have a better survivability when we get to these dog days of summer that, um, that we're seeing right now in many parts of the country.
0: What an exciting part of the industry uh, that a lot of our listeners may see every day, but really don't know uh, the many details that go behind the scenes that go into producing some excellent turf that we may happen to see on TV, whether it be golf tournaments, football games, and so forth. Lou, what are some recognizable uh, types of turf that you and your colleagues influence from time to time?
1: We do, um, you know, we we do work with a number of um, number of the top one hundred golf courses uh, here in the U.S. Um, we, we've got a number of sports fields. Um, you know, very well-known, very recognizable sports fields uh, here in the U.S. That, that we are dealing with, both on the collegiate and on the professional, and uh, at least when it comes to baseball, you know, some of the minor league fields. So we do a lot of that. Um, it's uh... And it's fun. It's a great opportunity, especially for myself and the role that I'm in, to get to go out and, and get to be with a uh, with the, the sales rep that's covering that region, and have an opportunity to go see some of these places that that you see, you might see on TV, or you may never see it on TV. You know, depending on the golf course, if it's um, if it's one that's pretty private and exclusive, uh, where they're not doing golf tournaments on a uh, on a yearly or or ever type basis. So it's a lot of fun. It's a very exciting side of our industry
0: that our listeners may not be aware of, but there's a pretty good chance that if you're watching ESPN, a golf tournament, or even MLB, there may be a chance that Helena may have touched that field in some way. Absolutely. Lou, what does the future of turf management look like in your opinion?
1: Uh, I really think that the future of turf management is definitely going to go in the direction of technology. Uh, we've, we've seen it progress, slowly progress and, you know, going back to some of my statements earlier with some of the offerings that we're, uh, that we have here at Helena, uh, under that RX 360 platform, you know, those are, those are technology things that are really going to help bring turf management, uh, to that next level, uh, is, is what we believe, you know, and beyond that, you know, some of the other technology things. Uh, GPS-guided sprayers, which have been used on agriculture for years, and we're, we're really starting to see them more and more uh, in, in turf management. Um, they've been a little slow to, to adopt some of these technologies, um, mainly because of the size of the property. I mean, your average golf course is only up 120 acres, and probably 30 acres of that, maybe 40, is, is, is highly maintained. So I definitely see technology being more and more prevalent uh, as we move forward in the turf industry.
0: Lou, thanks for joining us here today on FieldLink and helping us better understand and open our eyes to the specialty side of our business. What an exciting area that you get to work with on a daily basis.
1: Thank you, Bill. It's uh, it's been a pleasure joining you today and uh, thank you everyone for listening.
0: Now we're going to head over to uh, Nashville to uh, learn a little bit more about the commodity trading with uh, Jody Lawrence. Uh, Jody, welcome to FieldLink.
2: Thank you, Bill. Already an exi- exciting week. Yeah,
0: it's, it's a rock and rolling time right now in the markets. Uh, definitely a roller coaster. Lots of things happening. Uh, give us a quick update on uh, kind of some of the highlights that you're picking up.
2: Well, today started the week uh, with... And really, uh, this started last uh, Thursday, Friday, after the complete sell-off uh, that, that really kind of kneecapped everybody and put them into a state of panic. You know, corn dropping over a dollar, beans over two, wheat over three, on recession fears and some cooler but still dry weather that uh, just added to everybody wanting to get out of the market. And then you got to a point where it was clear that the recession fears through a couple US unemplo- through a U.S. unemployment number and another factor or two that uh, the U.S. may come out of this without making a really you know, hard dive into recession. There could be a soft landing here because the U.S. Uh, uh, job uh, creation pace continues to improve. So that helped. And we've had a big bounce since last Thursday's low. Uh, opened sharply higher last night. At one point, December corn was up 35 cents. Wheat was up uh, close to 40. Beans were up close to 25. And then as we progressed through the night, word was coming out of Russia that they had been speaking last week uh, through their people with their allies in Turkey who control uh, the Black Sea port or or the entry to the Black Sea at the Bosporus And this is nothing new. This is uh, that we saw over the course of the last month, to six weeks. It's complete propaganda, but we have uh, algorithmic trading systems that are involved in our market. All they saw was humanitarian wheat corridor in the headline, and they took wheat from being up 40 to down 30 by the end of today on nothing more than a headline that, has proven over the last two months and, and since the start of the war and the invasion to be completely illegitimate. So incredibly frustrating when you're watching it as just the the daily swings and value of your crop and your mental well being are uh, as as extreme as I've ever seen it in the uh, in the market.
0: Yeah, it certainly seems like there's a lot of your words daily swings that are you just kind of scratch your head a little bit, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the chatter about uh, some trades, uh, you know, some things freeing up and, in Turkey and, and in the Black Sea. But then you turn the page or you flip on a, a YouTube and you find out that the Russian soldiers are still burning some of these fields down, a uh, wheat crop down in Ukraine. So it's really challenging to really, I guess, get a clear picture.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. It's Russia and China. Who obviously we we have to deal with when we're talking about setting fair value for agriculture prices uh, on the supply and the demand side for both. But when they actively wage a war of disinformation to get the markets to try to think what they want rather than what the the real facts are, it becomes uh, it becomes crazy. Because last week China. Uh, canceled seven uh, different purchases, about seven uh, boats of soybeans, only to uh, find out that Friday, Thursday, and Friday, and even some over the weekend, they came back into the U.S. markets asking for cash bids. So, the just the the just the lack of consistency and transparency in the markets at the price levels where we are is creating this volatility and it just a few head scratching days where you see massive moves over what you know probably is uh, is fake if not it you know old enough news that everybody should have known it
0: well jody now that we're in the middle of july it's it's a uh, critical time uh, for a lot of crops across the united states so uh, especially that corn crop you know uh, in in many places uh, you know pollination's going to be starting if it hadn't already uh Any weather updates from the markets? How how are they talking to us?
2: Well, uh, last night's open clearly showed with corn opening 25 higher and quickly advancing to 35 higher and getting back almost a full dollar of some of the losses that we saw over the last two weeks that there's some extreme heat building across the western Corn Belt, uh, almost a complete uh, lack of rain over most of the Midwest, over the course of the t- next 10 to 14 days, and the crop con- weekly crop conditions just came out, and you got uh, 15% of the crop in pollination as of yesterday afternoon, and normally it's mm-hmm. a 25%. So what that means is you still have 85% of pollination ahead with the driest, hottest forecast of the summer. And that is directly relatable to the fact that we were behind on planting during the spring because it was so cool and wet in a lot of areas of, yep. uh, you know, the big chunks of the Midwest. And you just look at other things. Last week's rain uh, put a dent in prices, but crop conditions came out. And these are subjective, so they have to be taken with a grain of salt. But the, uh, corn, the corn crop uh condition was expected to improve one to two percent and it didn't improve at all and beans were up one but we're still early enough in the bean uh, growing season that it can uh, you know that's not going to make a tremendous dent but the fact that the corn crop is not improving uh, over the last mm-hmm. 10 days with the rains that a lot of people saw and you know felt like they were million dollar rains uh, th- everybody's going to have to account for that because I've talked to too many people in too many major areas that the top end has been taken out of their crop. Uh, and with the advancing heat, obviously you get advancing maturity. And when you do, when you have those combinations during pollinations, it just doesn't set up for a bend buster by any means, but I'll be shocked if we get to the 177 that the USDA is predicting
0: currently. Yeah, it definitely feels like uh depending upon uh, where you're traveling. East to west, you know, there's certain spots things look really, really good. And then other areas just a little bit tough. And uh, as he's pointed out, the next 10 days are going to be pretty critical for a bulk of that uh, pollination period for a lot of corn crop across the United States. Jody, let's talk about fuel and energy. That's uh, catching all the headlines. Uh, what's the latest update in that space?
2: Well, you had uh, crude oil down today and uh, last week back down under $100 a barrel. And Uh, You had diesel take a big dip all the way back into the mid-350s after peaking out over 450 a couple weeks ago. Uh, But you had diesel up 10 cents today, and you've got demand. You uh, do not have as much economic fear as you did of a major worldwide recession. Chinese COVID lockdowns are going to continue to be uh, headline risk. Uh, throughout the trade. And that certainly is part of it, because if China has a big booming economy, it benefits all raw material use. But on the other hand, China announced uh, Thursday or late last week that they've got uh, or preparing a $220 billion stimulus package to re-energize their economy. So you've got a lot of positives in the world. And the reality with diesel fuel in the United States is we can refine at full capacity, and the, we're still going to be just barely meeting demand, even if the market takes the, demand, the current demand as, you know, a little bit under normal. So, if demand were to return to normal with no more refining capacity than we have, it, it, it sure looks like diesel uh, and gas in general, uh, through the rest of the summer, can easily make a run back up at those highs that we saw
0: uh, in June. Yeah. And that, uh, clearly, uh, we got to sit back and look a little bit at what could be happening in the Gulf with maybe some hurricanes as we kind of get into that hurricane season. If that slows some refining down, boy, that could certainly impact some of those diesel prices.
2: That would, that would be a backbreaker because if you had, and certainly you don't wish ill on anybody and you don't, and you hate to even talk about it, Uh, because you and I were in New Orleans for the Commodity Classic and they don't like to talk about anything hurricane-related unless it's a drink, that uh, if they had a a major Category 4 or 5 storm come through and shut down the oil production or hit Houston over to New Orleans and make a a major dent in that, uh, prices would go through the roof and uh, we would really, really have big problems this fall just about availability and affordability of diesel
0: well certainly a lot to keep an eye on uh, as we continue through the growing season uh, jody uh jody we want to thank you for your time for joining us here on field link and uh, uh look forward to catching up with your next session
2: all right thank you bill and everybody uh, stay cool and uh, we keep doing our rain dance in our office so everybody can get some rain and get these crops on
0: thanks for joining us today jody Joining us now from central Washington is Jim Jar. Jim is an area manager for the Helena Professional Sales Division. Jim,
3: welcome to FieldLink. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Jim, um, you live in Washington. Uh, you, you cover the western half of the United States for our, our specialty business at Helena. Tell us a little bit about your story. How did you f- navigate your way to become a... Uh, an area manager for the specialty division.
3: Well, back in uh, 1992, I joined the industry working for a distributor here in the Pacific Northwest. I spent 16 years with them. Um, I had a two year hiatus in the uh, late, late into that where I left to run my own small business as a, as an applicator in the non-crop business. Um, and along that way, I held various positions in support uh, operations, and and finished up there in sales for about seven years. And then um, Helena uh, offered me a position as a product manager, and it was a really good opportunity to to join this team. And um, I spent about four and a half years in the same territory uh, operating as a product manager for this group. And then um, this opportunity opportunity came along to to take on this role, and I've been glad I did. Very very, very fortunate to be here. That's
0: great. We're glad to have you here joining us here on FieldLink. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, the structure. uh, You know, tell us about your team. Tell us a little bit
3: about the geography that you manage. Um, Well, so so I manage the Western United States. Uh, We have uh, several regions across the country. The specialty division um, is managed out of Columbia, South Carolina, which is an Eastern business unit office. The Specialty Division overlays the entire country. Uh, So we have four area managers um, and a division manager. My territory ranges uh, the nine western states uh, uh, going as far east as Denver. Uh, So Denver West is the territory. We have locations in uh, Denver, uh, New Mexico, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Sacramento, and Spokane. And then we also work out of some of our Ag Brothers locations In various territories in between those locations.
0: Jim, what really makes, I guess, this side, the professional services group, the professional group that you work with, what makes your group different
3: from other competitors that are in the industry? Well, I I like to think we're still a little old school. We're we're very um, relationship driven. Um, It's very easy today to get caught up in um, emails, text messaging, and not showing up. Um, our crew across the country uh, is still ground driven. We still like to have our relationships in the field. We understand that businesses change and the business has changed, but if we don't have a relationship there, um, we're gonna we're not going to be as successful. And we see that with our competition. Likewise, very much like the Helena motto, our our business. Um, the, is is gra- uh, the decisions from the ground drive our business. We try very much to uh, put a lot of autonomy and authority into our sales reps, into our locations, our branch managers, and work from the ground up. So I think the combination of the relationship-driven business along with giving our sales team the uh, latitude to make decisions in the field makes us very successful and, and we stand out from our competition that way. You
0: know, I think it's really unique. We, uh, when we talk to different managers uh, across our organization out here at Helena, uh, no matter what part of the country, in, everybody leads to that people side and uh, truly living out that model, people, products, and knowledge. Jim, tell us about the other areas, you know, some of the products and some of the knowledge that your team brings to this very unique market and industry.
3: Well, um, I like to say if it's not edible – we're calling on. Uh So, you know, the markets that we service are everything from um, a golf course, which is usually forefront in most people's minds when they think about our business, but it's really only a piece of what we do. The lawn care company that's taking care of the residential lawns in your neighborhood, they could be buying from us. The pest control company that's taking care of the school district's cafeteria or spraying the prune of your home to keep insects out Those people are buying from us. If you look at the athletic fields in your park service, those people are buying from us. And then it goes on to the industrial business where your roadside managers who are managing weeds on the roadside or in the industrial park, um, those are our customers uh, that we go and see every day. Nursery and uh, container grown ornamentals that you find at Lowe's or Home Depot, those growers are buying from, from Helena.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh, Jim, you talked a little bit about the industrial side, industrial vegetative management side of our business. This is a very unique and often overlooked space uh, in, in the industry. Um can you tell us a little bit of more a little bit more about that sector of the business and how that truly impacts everybody on a
3: daily basis? Yeah, uh, that's that's a great question. Um, yes, I think it is oftentimes overlooked. So my challenge to you would be is the next time you get in the truck and you're heading down the county road or the highway, we call it the edge of the oil. Look at where the edge of the asphalt interfaces with um, either the, the native vegetation or perhaps even gravel. So in the arid west um, or in other parts of the country, you might see a large gravel path anywhere from a foot up to eight feet wide. Um, that is most likely being treated with a herbicide, a residual herbicide, to keep that vegetation from encroaching out onto the roadway. Um, we do that for several reasons. In the West, where we have uh, significant wildland fires, um, if that grass, which probably goes dormant in the summertime, becomes brown and very tender, um, a hot vehicle pulls off the side of the road, we could ignite that dry grass, and now we have a rangeland fire. Likewise, Um, If you think about wildlife, where do they like to uh, lie down? They like to lie down in tall grass. It's cooler. If that grass is tall and it's out on the side of the road, um, wildlife um, aren't visible or as visible to a passenger vehicle going by. So it creates a safety risk. Likewise, if you're on a windy mountainous road or windy road anywhere um, and you have tall grass, two, three feet tall line of sight around the corner uh, becomes an issue. So um, for those reasons, we would use a residual herbicide to try to keep the grasses and the native vegetation from coming in and encroaching on the road shoulder. Also, we have, uh, you know, invasive uh, species that will overtake natural vegetation. We also have invasive species that are harmful to grazing uh, livestock, etc. So um, there's a a a long list of reasons that we want to manage uh, industrial vegetation, both on the roadside as well as perhaps in an industrial park or other areas.
0: Wow. And and just just some of those examples. Honestly, I would have never thought about really the safety factor, but you bring such a great point, you know, you can't turn on the news and you're always hearing about wildfires in the West. And I I don't know, I've got a lot of experience uh, my my wife, for example, hitting deer a lot on the side of the road, but having that side of the road managed, uh, uh, you know, from from managing some of the vegetation is absolutely critical for the average, uh, I guess, citizen that's, uh, you know, driving a vehicle.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Yes, sir.
0: In addition to roadsides, uh, I, I mean, does your group also play in, for example, uh, the railroad side of the business, um, or even even I know we've got some of our team uh, members that are very involved with managing around municipalities, around you know, energy lines, power lines, that sort of thing. Uh,
3: the railroad is a little bit different business. Um, we, we do work with some short line railroads uh, in various parts of the country, but, but that business evolved many years ago, um, and it's, it's a very difficult business to get in as a distributor. Um, there's a lot of direct relationships there, so um, we don't play in that market as much. However, um, if you look at a railroad line, you, you will see that that vegetation is being managed and, and for a very important reason ultimately, safety and, and safe passage of those trains. Um, likewise, when you look at, um, or when I think about industrial vegetation management, it really goes much broader than that. We we will um, combine, we call it either the TNO business or the IVM business, industrial vegetation management, that we will roll aquatics into that. We'll ro- roll our forestry business into that. Um, so it's a little broader spectrum. So we, we cover uh, everything from uh, aquatic business uh, down in the Everglades of Florida, all the way to the irrigation districts in Idaho and the Pacific Northwest and, and many lakes and streams and ponds across the country from an aquatic standpoint. Likewise, from a municipality standpoint, if you think about a, uh, an airport. What's on an airport? You have runways, you need planes coming and going, you need line of sight. You also have tank farms for aviation fuel. Um, we certainly don't want vegetation growing up to the edge of those tanks, right? That, that's a that's a potential hazard. So we're going to be managing those kinds of things. If you think of in terms of utility right-of-ways, in the southeast um, – where vegetation grows very rapidly and encroaches on those. There's a lot of side trimming being done, mechanical pruning of those corridors that the utility lines, uh, utility transmission lines will will run through. Um, we are actually, uh, we have a, developed a unique piece of equipment called a side trim unit that goes in has a telescoping arm and will spot treat in those canopies to reduce the number of times or the length of time that it takes for that crew to have to come back. So, there in line is another opportunity or or example of how vegetation management and helena is is helping in the in the community so lots of different places for for industrial vegetation management yeah you bring out some really great points, and
0: it all kind of goes back to more than aesthetics. It's it's about safety and performance, uh, you know, for our infrastructure in the U.S. And you referenced the uh, side trim business. Boy, I'd, t- I'd encourage listeners to log into the uh, YouTube channel on HelenaAgra.com, uh and the Helena Agra YouTube channel to watch that video uh, on the side trim business. And boy, what a what a neat neat uh, innovation uh, that your team has. Uh, really brought forward to the industry, um, Jim. You referenced forestry. Forestry uh, been in the business a long time. It's been a part of of your sector for a very long time, but boy, that space is evolving. Jim, share with us some of the things that you know are, are really involving and 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 you and your team are able to help those foresters uh, be more profitable.
3: Well, um, as as the economy changes, as you watch timber prices, the cost of a 2 by 4 at, at your local hardware store changes, um, foresters are forever being challenged to be more efficient, uh, more environmentally sound, more environmentally safe. And so we have, um, for a long time, worked in the forestry business. In fact, some of my predecessors were some of the first to use chemical release uh, applications to give the the seedling trees an opportunity to outcompete the native vegetation uh, for sunlight and moisture, uh, which gives them a head start uh, in the crop that takes up to anywhere from 25 to 40 years to grow. And so, uh, try to get your head around that uh, when you think about planting a crop and you probably won't see it harvested. Uh, that's a that's a timber stand right there. So, um, going back into the uh, days, days long gone. Um, that's where that started today. You know, we're partnering with, with timber companies and landowners to, uh, we call it turnkey. Um, I wouldn't say that we're the first in the West to do that, but, um, or the first in Helena, the guys in the Southeast have done that, uh, over time. We're doing it a little differently. We have, um, uh, partnered with our subsidiary Western helicopter. Um, we go out and we'll do the mapping, Uh, We'll go out and identify uh, water on these units, Um, and then we basically, instead of the landowner having somebody doing that for themselves, they will hire us to do that, and uh, it's a great opportunity for us to partner with the landowner. Um, We're invested. They're invested. We can make the right prescription for them and uh, ensure that everything is being done the correct way.
0: Jim, how, how's your team implementing, I guess, unique technology, uh, for your customers in this area and as well as other areas?
3: Well, I got, I got a hand look of it just last week. I was with our, um, AI area technician who, um, does a lot of our mapping and, um, he flies our drone and, and does a lot of those things. So I went out and spent a few days with him hiking around, uh, in the forest in the inland empire. And, uh, it was very eye-opening. You know, we, we uh, were given maps um, that, that identify potential uh, areas of moving water in some of these forest units. And a forest unit could be anything from 50 acres to 110 acres. Okay, and it could be on an inverted hillside. It could be on a perfectly flat piece of ground or it could be a combination thereof. And so what we're trying to do is find water on this so we can go in and drop pins and map it and then be able to communicate that map to the pilot of the helicopter. We'll fly all of these units with helicopters. And then he will create a buffer so he has a no spray area um, in that particular set, or or excuse me, that particular unit um, to avoid applying herbicides into that moving water uh, that might or might not leave that unit. So we're, we're, we're partnering with the landowner using their maps, combining those with our technology um, and then communicating with our helicopter partners uh, to ensure that we're, we're getting our product where it needs to be appropriately. Wow.
0: So so physically, you're going out mapping this, this portion of the forest to make sure if we have a stream, uh, some kind of w- moving water. And obviously, we're just trying to simply... Ensure that we're protecting the environment by not applying a herbicide in a uh, in an area that could be sensitive. Is is that right?
3: That that is correct. And and um, unlike um, maybe a a, a crop uh, in the Midwest or in the Southeast, you know, this is a forest unit that has been logged. There's um, trees down uh, there's brush, there's lots of different things. So it's not just a stroll. Um, as I'm not, I, I discovered I'm not as a young man as I once was, uh, <laughs> as we started jumping through this stuff, but it was a really great experience. And, and uh, to the, to the foresters and, and the people that work in that industry every day, hats off to you. Cause it's, it's not easy work.
0: Well, I, I think that's a great point. And, you know, it still requires that human touch, right? Uh, people on the ground and, and, you know, we're, Clearly looking for tools to, you know, make our lives easier, uh, you know, by implementing different technologies like you've described um, with the the mapping services and so forth. But what other tools uh, are are you starting to incorporate, uh, for example, drones into this area of the forestry
3: side of the business? So we do, um, we do operate a drone. We're still in some, some uh, building stages with that, identifying where it's appropriate to be used and where it's not. In our business, um, there, there's uh, some challenges. You, you can't fly a drone along the highway, right? That's, right. That's, we, we just can't do that. But in the Christmas tree market in the Pacific Northwest, we're working with the drone to establish uh, stand counts, Um, We're also doing the very same thing in the southeast in Florida uh, for the container growers down there um, where we can fly a drone and get a container count. Now, this saves countless man hours um, for an employee to go out and do an estimated count of containers or even Christmas trees in the field. Uh, So so we're working towards being able to bring an efficiency tool to the grower uh, in both of those markets with our drone. Um, in the Pacific Northwest, um, we're working on weed identification imagery, which is, um, something that helps with our, um, like, a, some of the, the large, uh, county areas where we have to go out and look for noxious weeds. And, and we're trying to, uh, perhaps in the rangeland areas, um, control noxious weeds. So if we can fly, you know, a thousand acres with a drone that saves countless man hours. And if we can identify what's on the ground, we can drop pins um, uh, for for location markers and then go out and do spot treatments instead of broadcast applications in those areas. So it, it's it's something that we're working towards and we're, we're still trying to um, refine, but we're getting uh, we're, we're moving forward with that and very, very optimistic of where that's going to go. Jim, it's definitely uh, a very exciting side
0: of the business, and, and honestly, a, a side of the industry that um, you know is quietly progressing and quietly evolving, but implementing a lot of really exciting technology that uh, you know uh, will make us all more efficient and, and frankly, more profitable. Um, Jim Jar, I, I want to thank you for coming on to Fieldlink this special edition uh, to share with us some insight about the specialty side of the business. And you certainly referenced a lot of different areas uh, that Helena touches that mm, the average person may not be familiar with. So thanks for joining us today here on Field Lake, Jim.
3: Thanks for the time.
0: We want to thank all of our guests uh, today for joining us here on FieldLink, and we want to thank certainly all of our listeners. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms at HelenaAgra.com to get the latest FieldLink information and insight to help you produce a more profitable crop.